This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. An Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Jordan open Chicago with the lead. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at thepodiumgame.com. I am Jason Mann and with me as always is Rich Craig. Rich, great to be back with you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while, but I'm I'm looking forward to this episode. This is one that we've had in the in the in the coffers for quite a while. Uh, this has been on the 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 long-standing Google Doc that we have running, where we 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 continually come up with show ideas before we even record other show ideas. So they just keep getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And this is one I think we've had on almost since the beginning or or, or near the beginning. I'm really excited to talk about it. It's a it's a topic near and dear to my heart as well. So. Yeah, so we are going to talk about, I guess you could say it's the history of losing. The uh, <laughs> right. the biggest losers ever in NBA history, at least some of them. Uh, we're going to talk about um, a, a few of our favorite or best known terrible teams. Uh, oh, no, you can have a talk- favorite terrible team. I, I, have a, I, I know you do, and I, I absolutely have favorite terrible teams. Well, so. yeah, I mean, I, I think both favorite and, uh, and notable, <laughs> I think, is kind of what we're going to cover here. So we're, yeah, we're, we're right. going to go through a few of, uh, like I said, we're going to go a few, through a few notable ones, a little bit in depth, uh, not too deep, because, you know, you don't, you don't want to get too sad about things. Um, <laughs> after a while, you know, you just kind of... You know, you're well, if you're gonna about... have great teams, though, somebody has to lose, though, too, for the Bulls to win seventy-two. You know what I mean? Like, 
That, so, you know, there, there's the give and the take. If you want good teams, you got to have bad. I mean, so, I, I agree with you, Rich. I'm not arguing. If everybody, I mean, if you want a 45, like everybody has 45 wins, or I mean, I don't want that. I want I want my good and I want my bad. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, there's, there's nothing... <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being terrible. I mean, it's um, you know, it's just part of life. Some some things you're bad at. Like I like like us in this podcast. Yeah, we're terrible. <laughs> oh, Rich. No. Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. I, well, I thought you knew we were terrible. I, oh, I, oh, you thought we were good. I, I assume so. I thought we were. Oh, I thought we oh, were, we're okay. Improving. Oh, I no. Think. I mean, the, the other podcast, the, the one that you just started, which allows you to plug here. That one is good. This one, eh. yeah, the Albert Hitchcast. The, uh, that you is the one. Yeah. Yes. At uh, at onthestick.com slash Alfred Hitchcast. Yeah, um, I've heard of that, yeah. Thank you. Yes, that, good. Uh, that one is better the, than this. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, Rich. I mean, you're you're no you're you're a, you're a good contributor. You know, you got the uh, you're the numbers guy. You're the uh, <laughs> you know you got the info. You got the details. I think we I think we do a nice job. They haven't thrown us off yet. You know, we're like 16, 17 yeah. shows in. You know, we have more wins than many of these teams that uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. So. So, uh, Rich, you know, we hear a lot about tanking, and yeah. we've made a lot of jokes about how tanking, of course, has never happened before it, 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 until the you know recent uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Right, so evil Sam Hinkley decided, uh, you know, yeah, ruin the NBA. He, <laughs> yeah, he just he said, he said, damn it, I don't want to win. I want to lose exceptionally <laughs> so that I can gather draft picks and form an ingenious plan to, I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess eventually they want to win, but... So, I don't know. Like I've always, like I think I feel like tanking has become an all-purpose term for just like general badness, and and I guess it's sort of like an intending to be bad on like a like you form a team knowing that it is going to be bad and are okay with that because you believe it will you know prove great dividends in, in the end. Right now. My my view on tanking was always more of it uh, players and, and or coaches sort of intentionally playing to lose, like actually like not playing as hard as they can or actually throwing the game. And and, and whether that's really ever happened in NBA history, it's kind of hard to tell. But what what's your stance on that? Yeah, I, I've always felt to me when I think of tanking, I don't think of a team like this current section. I really don't think that they're that I think. There, there's a construct there. I mean, obviously the Sixers are constructed to not win games, but I, I never see that as necessarily "quote unquote" tanking. To me, it's always been, and, and we'll talk about some examples, you, you know, in a little bit here. To me, tanking has always been: we have an okay team, you know, maybe halfway through the year we're 500, this, 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 or whatever. Then we look in the mirror and go, "Okay, look, we're not going to compete for a championship." You know, we hate, we might have a protected first round pick. I mean, we, there's a bunch of stuff that we're going to get into here and a bunch of different factors that lead to teams doing what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of describing here is that, you know, we can't make the playoffs. We don't have a title team. You know, we're, 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 we're lucky to even get, you know, eight seed. What's what's worth it getting an eight seed? I'd rather get a lottery pick, all this sort of stuff. And then sort of in ways, shutting guys down, you know, playing guys a lot of minutes that they don't deserve or in a single game. Like we're going to talk about another one where it's a single game where they looked in the mirror and went, oh, crap, we probably need to lose this game. So let's have a guy that that, you know, you know, usually doesn't do anything on our team, play a lot or, you know, do a lot or stuff like that. To me, that's always what I've always thought of as tanking, not necessarily a team that is constructed at the beginning of the year to be bad. I think that's that, that's a whole different animal to me. I think that's in a lot of ways smart. And, and we'll get into that a little bit where and, and I'm not necessarily saying that that tanking intentionally is dumb either. The, the, like where I'm saying where, you know, if you're halfway through the season and you realize we can't make the playoffs, it's not the worst thing ever to like 
you, you know, make your team intentionally worse so that you get a better draft pick or you get in the lottery and not the eighth or seventh seed in the playoffs or something like that. I don't necessarily know if it's good or bad or whatever, but yeah, I've never felt that what the Sixers are doing right now or, or, or some certain stuff of what people call tanking is. I To me, it's always been intentionally as, as, as in a way of what you said, but also you know, you might be able to put out a better team, but you don't. You might be able to put out a better basketball product, but you don't. I don't think this current Sixers team was ever constructed to be better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I see what you mean, and I see the distinction. Although I don't know, like where I sort of like fall, like what which is okay, which is not okay, or any of mm-hmm. them. Bad. I mean, I I definitely have a problem. I mean, I have a problem with these things. Obviously, I would have a problem <laughs> with like if someone actually went out there and just like didn't try just to just you know if, if players or, or coaches or whatever if the team that they fielded that night decided we're not going to try as hard we're going right. intentionally to throw this game like I, I feel like that is a line that should not be crossed um i also i mean obviously it, in a perfect world it would be awesome if every team out there was built to win as many games as possible and there weren't the incentives that there are in the NBA to lose more to have a better chance at a top pick. Right. Um, and and it, it's a little bit worse too in the NBA as well because you mentioned that the, the big caveat of, of the top pick, which is usually also, you know, kind of comes with a, a, a generationally great player. And, and what we found is, you know, generation great players. Sorry, my dogs are not happy about <laughs> this discussion of tanking. I know, no, guys. No, I don't they're against tanking. It's, they are very much against tanking. But um, you know, you look at it in, especially in the NBA, where MLB, yeah, okay. It, there, there's obviously reasons why in baseball you'd want you know a top five pick or whatever, and, and the numbers say that or whatever. But nothing changes your franchise around like having that one guy drafting a LeBron, drafting a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, drafting. You know, that is completely transcendent of you know, anything. And, and, and the NBA, there's no way to ever get around that because the NBA is always going to be a league where there's, you know, there's five guys on your team. And, and whenever you want to give your best player the ball, you can give him the ball. I mean, no other sport has that where you can, whatever you want, you say best player you, here, it's all yours. <laughs> You're like, you do everything for us. I mean, baseball, obviously there's a lineup football, you know, you, you can't, there's always different stuff in the bigger sports. Whereas basketball, that one guy, that one out of five can just change so much. So I get it. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of weird because, like, you know, we, we were sort of looking into this, like, history of tanking issue because, I, you know, I've never read anything about there really being, like, a perception of any team tanking before, like, 1983 or so. You know, the that we're going to talk about them in more detail, but the 83 and 84 Rockets are like the first team that you kind of hear about is in like, Oh yeah, they, they were tanking to get, you know, to, to get Ralph Sampson and he came, he came one. And I've never read anyone before that ever seen that. And, and in our research, we didn't really see that much of that either. And, and that does seem sort of odd because the incentives were largely the same. I mean, from, from 66 to uh, 80, 85, they had a um, basically a, the two worst teams in each conference 
had a coin flip to determine who would be first pick and who would be second pick. That that, that was every year, and that, that surprised me. You know, I knew about coin flips for, like, Kareem and for Magic and for and, and maybe a few other players, but I'd always just assumed, like, oh, it was just because there was some tiebreaker that needed to be broken. I, I didn't... Right, right. And, and that's interesting because, of course, that could mean a team with a, you know... Obviously, you know, this, this season, the team that is... Uh, well, I, maybe not quite because the Timberwolves. Yeah, I was gonna say the Timberwolves. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Timberwolves just, are gonna make. Yeah, yeah. There are certainly seasons in <laughs> which you know there are going to be. Um, they're they're just going to be teams who in the West who the worst team in the West is going to finish with a much better record than the first team in the East or vice versa. So, um, and that certainly you know ha- happened uh, throughout the draft. Um, yeah. So, but, but that wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't think that would really make that much of a difference because you still have the incentive to, you know, if you're in a certain position to be the worst in your conference and get that coin flip at least, I mean, you get it. If you have, you have the worst, you know, one of, one of those worst records, you still have a 50% chance of getting the, the, uh, pick or, you know, get the second pick at worst and, you know, it goes by record after that. So it's not, you know, it's not like there wouldn't have necessarily been a reason to tank, uh, before that a reason. I mean, honestly, a better right. Reason. I mean, that, that's, yeah, you, you, yeah, the 50% chance is pretty, I mean, that, that, that's a real race to the bottom as opposed to, you know, today where, where, you know, obviously there's lottery balls, but we've seen plenty of, of, of times where, you know, it, the worst team is, I mean, they, they have a chance of be, you know, obviously they're still going to be, you know, top five or whatever, but yeah, they don't always get that number one pick and, and, and very rarely get that number one pick for being the worst team. So yeah. do you have any, do you have any thoughts on like why that might be? Um, oh, in terms of the, the, why we never heard more about it. Or like do you, yeah I mean we're yeah I mean we're just teams more secretive about it or because basketball wasn't covered as well or? yeah I I don't know I mean that that's it's an interesting question without living you know in that era I, I I'm I'm not necessarily aware if we just kind of remember these teams as being bad or or you know but we looked through the SI vault we looked through a bunch of different articles and all that sort of stuff and there was never really many articles or much you know sports media talking about this team intentionally trying to lose or you know yeah kind of tongue in cheeky and even even when we do read this there's very rarely you know especially in Sports Illustrated or whatever where they would say X team is attempting to lose to get I mean they would always say yeah we didn't feel the best team or yeah we kind of knew our roster wasn't very good. You know, sort of dancing around it tongue in cheek or whatever. But yeah, you never really got that before, which I don't know why. I don't know if it wasn't just as transparent. I don't know if the media just didn't catch on or I even wonder if teams I mean, it's it seems unfathomable that teams wouldn't think, hey, this is a really good idea. We should just lose on purpose or whatever. Or I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to say without being in the context. I can't imagine that they they didn't know, you know, especially when Kareem's coming out. Hey, you know what? If we're bad, we have a better chance of getting Kareem. But I, it, you just don't hear about it all. That yeah, often. so it, it, it is very weird. But I, I can't I'm going to give them. Well, then again, NBA GMs back in the day were pretty ridiculous, so they might not have known. So well, they really yeah. they just drank a lot and made really ridiculous trades. So I, that's possible I mean, with the Celtics mostly. So. Yeah, I mean a few things. The, the draft wasn't necessarily <laughs> as value or as valued anyway, and there wasn't, of course, mm-hmm. rookie scale contracts. So you weren't going to get like cheap talent in the right, in, right. You know, um, even if you got a star, you're going to have to pay him pretty quickly. So that 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 might be one thing. Um, also, you know, in, in the seventies and so we're much closer to past basketball point shaving scandals in college, like, you know, in, in the, in the fifties, um, and I think in the sixties as well, um, that, you know, kind of haunted the game. So maybe there's just some reticence to play around with losing it all, you know, the, the percent, you know, you're still, the box office of the game is tenuous. So maybe, you know, you 
teams feared like if they had any you know if it if at all they felt like if there was ever that perception they yeah, were oh, no. losing they, they, that would hurt them in the box office that makes a lot know, of sense um, well, that's actually really good I, I i really didn't think about that in my initial stuff but yeah that's a really good idea you know idea now where you know the, the sixers or whatever have x amount of you know guaranteed you know corporate you know skyboxes and all that sort of stuff i mean it's a lot less they're gonna make money anyway kind of the television contract all this sort of stuff they're gonna make a pretty penny this year regardless of if they win nine games or if they win 49 or whatever whereas yeah i mean in in the 70s it's it's i mean you really can't be you can't play around with it too much i mean i i I grew up in an era where the bulls were no good and and i mean or i I didn't grow up in that era but no you know knowing you know what happened in the 70s and the 80s with the bulls before jordan i mean they're i mean they were a nothing in the city they were i mean they they were playing in front of three thousand four thousand people just because they weren't good and there's no reason to go see them so yeah that is a very good point that you brought up there yeah i uh thank you and um i don't don't know i i do think that i mean they're probably a combination of all those things but it, it is interesting that it is sort of like tanking is a fairly recent term as far as kind of like a widespread term you know that and um it is it's i expected there to kind of be more about it in the past maybe we just didn't find the right stuff but it's you know and there's still plenty of interesting things when it comes to uh teams that uh you know, we're really bad or even intentionally bad, but it's just uh, it's kind of noteworthy that this is more of a, a perceived as a modern problem. You know, and I guess modern is in the last 30 years, which is, you know, there's enough history there to, um, you know, to definitely get into some depth. But I don't know, like just last thing about this. Do you I mean, do you really see would you like to see the system changed? Um, you know, does it need to be solved? If so, do you have any ideas how you would you would want sort of the draft lottery, the trying to cut the incentives to tank to be changed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. The, the problem is I don't know if there's ever going to be a perfect solution to it at all. I mean, there's like the wheel issue. You know, people brought up the wheel, and, and there, there's been a, bu- a bunch of other things, you know, equally weighted balls and that sort of stuff. I think one way or another, and I mentioned that, you know, in, in my you know discussion a little bit ago, that no matter what in the NBA, there, there's always still that incentive that there's, there's going to be one or two guys in those drafts. So there might only be one guy, and it might only come once a decade or whatever, where everybody kind of agrees that this guy is probably the real deal or, or a guy that's really going to change your franchise, you know, like Kevin Durant LeBron, you know, those sort of guys. So I think no matter what, regardless of what system you do, you know, Bill Simmons had the idea of, well, the, 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 the team that just missed the playoffs should do it. But then you're also going to, then you're going to have people trying to get to there. You're going to have the, you know, the team that's in the eighth seed is going to start trying to lose so they can be the last one out or whatever. I mean, there's always going to be, no matter what, I think some sort of finagling with the order or figuring out how guys can do it. The wheel is probably one of the best ones I've seen uh, yet. The kind of the draft wheel that, that one sort of eliminates a lot of the issues. I don't know if it all the way does. Um, yeah, and, and to explain, yeah, to explain for anyone who doesn't really know what the draft was, basically, like you get, um, like it, it sort of rotates. So you you get a choice between one through five or six through ten or you know wherever you kind of land in in a certain year. It doesn't depend on your record. You just sort of right. land there and. Um, and you basically get if there's like 30 spots for 30 years, you're gonna pick in one spot each year, depending on how things work out. Yeah, and I like that one, but you know what's going to happen. Sometimes somebody's gonna, some really good team is going to get a really good player, and then people are going to go go crazy about it and say, "Well, this is ridiculous. Why did anybody think this was going to work?" And, sure. and there's always, I mean, there's always going to be issues no matter what with what you do. To me, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I know a lot of people really care a lot about it, and the Sixers are no good and all this sort of stuff. To me, I've never really thought it was that big of a deal. It's 
it's smart in a lot of ways. It, it, if your team's not going to be any good, there's no point in you know getting an eighth seed and getting destroyed by the best team in the East. I mean, sure, there are these random examples that come up, and I always hear people bring up you know the, the one or two examples of no, well, remember when this eighth seed beat this one or whatever? They're few and far between, though. For the most part, an eighth seed, a seventh seed, a sixth seed, they don't they don't win. They get destroyed in in the playoffs. And and you know, is it worth it to have four games of playoff revenue? And then have a, you know a lesser pick or pick out of the lottery or, or or not have a chance at a top five pick or, and you know you have protected picks and you have all this sort of stuff that that comes into it. To me, I've never thought it's a big deal because there's never really. I mean, yeah, ideally you'd want every single team to compete at full strength every single game or whatever. I just don't think it's that realistic. I just don't know if there's a chance. I mean, teams there's going to be some teams that are bad, and I don't. You know, I I I think as a GM, I'd rather position my team if I was going to be if I knew I was going to be bad I'd rather be really bad versus mediocre you know what I mean mediocre is mediocre gives you nothing that's NBA hell for the most part so I I I don't I've never seen a huge problem in it but some others do so yeah um yeah I I would say the wheel is interesting I I don't know if that's really practical I do they ended up voting it down but I thought that the, the the kind of the reform idea they had um where it sort of it wasn't quite like every team has equal odds, but it sort of made it like, you know, like the the worst six teams had similar odds and it kind of d- decreased from there. I thought mm-hmm. that was a tweak that was might make it a little bit better. I mean, yeah, you're not going to completely eliminate it, but I think the the closer to even the odds are for those um, non-playoff teams, I, you know, um, with some... For, you know, with, with lessening odds for like the the last four teams so that there's not incentive for an eighth seed to decide, oh, I'd rather be, you know, in this lottery rather than be in the playoffs, which which I understand yeah. would kind of be there a little bit anyway. But I that would lessen that temptation. And I, I think most players aren't going to go for that anyway. They'd rather be in the playoffs and most coaches would feel the same way. But but so I, I think something like that would make it a little bit better. But I, I agree that pretty much you're not going to be able to remove it and uh, yeah i i think there's a lot written about it we've obviously spent doing <laughs> almost 20 minutes talking about it now but i really i i do agree that i don't think it's a it's some sort of like basketball crime or anything like that like i i, I kind of admire in a sense what the sixers are doing like with just doing what they're doing without any pretense rather than like like for instance, the magic signing like Luke Ridnour and Ben Gordon and and granted that <laughs> they, they, they kind of want to be good. Like, you know, they signed Channing Fry. They're a little bit ahead of the development. You know, they have they have some better players. But um, but I, I but I do think like just signing one of my my favorite tanking team is, is an example of this, of just signing like veterans for basically no purpose you know other than just to have veterans there have some names. <laughs> right. but, but, but really you know i i think i'd rather like instead of like a team trying to like hey we have this guy who was good four years ago you know we're gonna be all right this year i'd rather just like you know i mean i don't want them to like say hey we're gonna be bad but i i'd rather like i i i appreciate the 76ers um not having pretense and in, in yeah having, you know, being transparent honest, about it Yes, yeah. as much as you know possible, you know, yeah, that that's so. I I think I do definitely appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right with you on that. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break now, and then we will be back to talk about a few of our favorite examples of terrible teams. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. 
Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. And we are back, and uh, we're going to start with uh, the team that probably set the standards of badness, the the 73 loss, 1973 Philadelphia 76ers. Lots of, <laughs> lots of sevens in there. Lots of bad numbers going on there. So um, I recently uh, read the book uh, Perfectly Awful by Charlie Rosen, which basically chronicles this uh, this team. And uh, yeah, it's not a good uh, was not a good situation. It, it's a uh, as far as the book goes, it is a book with some interesting stories, maybe not like the the best writing ever. But, you know, if you're an NBA history fan, I, I do recommend uh, checking it out. But, you know, it wasn't really one move that sunk the 76ers, but just a lot of bad ones. They hired Roy Rubin, who just ended up being a legendarily terrible coach. He was a, a, a small college coach and just did not fit at all in the NBA he was a yeller and a guy who believed that good defense came from slowing down the pace of the game. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, were there only, you know, there, uh, of course this, this 67, 76ers, that five times fast. Um, they were the 68 win championship team, you know, the greatest team in NBA history up until that time. Um, and had, you know, they, they had Will Chamberlain and they had Hal Greer, uh, Billy Cunningham and um, other great legends. And there's actually really good. Um, there's a piece on the from SI in 73 talking about the team um, at that point, they had like, they were like three and 36 or three and 39 or three and 35. Actually um, I'm looking at right now and they have a chart with all the players who they, they had a chart with, with like their last five draft picks and all of them like were terrible. Like um, all of them played fewer than a season with the team. One guy didn't play at all. They just did, did nothing. And then they were like, we're talking about the, the still active members of the 76ers team. And they're all like, still like doing pretty well. Like Will Chamberlain's with the Lakers. And, you know, they'd obviously just won a championship. Uh, Billy Cunningham, who was their most recent star. He was, he went, he drug, went to the ABA. Chat Walker was playing well in Chicago and, um, and so on and so forth. The only one who was really left on the team was, uh, was Hal Greer and, and really the um, you know, Hal Greer is kind of a forgotten guy now, but he was a seven time all NBA uh, team member, yeah. uh, 10 all star games, um, a Hall of Famer, you know, really, you know, a, a big legend for that team. And the way he's just, you know, he's 36, he's done his last legs, but the way he just kind of gets jerked around the entire season is just uh <laughs> it's just really sad i mean he goes from like you know like they say oh we're you know we're gonna play you to you know being benched for weeks and months on end he ends up playing like i think uh let's see i have it right here he ends up playing um 38 games 848 minutes doesn't play like the last 30 games of the season and there's a um like the the fans are like chanting for him to like play like in the last game, but he's already told um, coach like, you know, hey, I'm not in any shape to play a game. I haven't played in, you know, in <laughs> right. two months, like, you know, don't put I'm me 36. So yeah. you can't put, just call me every two months. And... Right. Don't put me out there. I can't uh, <laughs> I just can't, can't do it anymore. So the fans are pissed because they think that uh, the coach at that point was 
uh, Kevin Lowry, who had uh, taken over for um, Roy Rubin after about 50 games. Um, actually, it's funny because the the they actually won a stretch of five out of seven games um, during the season. So the rest of the uh, season, they only managed to win uh, four games, which is uh, pretty incredible. I guess that would be what four out of 75 games. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> so uh not good but not bad not, yeah. <laughs> yeah not good so um yeah when, you, when you're just I'm, I'm looking at these draft picks right now when bud ogden is your best uh first round pick in five years that's probably um it's yeah. probably not good they they made a lot of dumb trades as, as well i mean they just <laughs> it, like it was nothing like from everything I can tell, there was no intention to be bad here. Like they were trying <laughs> to, I mean, they understood they were rebuilding, but they did not expect to be, uh, to be that bad. Um, one of my favorite stories from, um, from the book is about uh, John Q trap who played just a little bit with the 76ers that year. And when they're playing in Detroit, apparently, um, Roy Rubin wants to pull trap out of the game. And then like, uh, he either trap points or somehow gets, gets the attention of somebody in the uh, stands who uh, like opens up their coat and shows like a gun <laughs> there. <laughs> and so like he just keeps trapping the game. <laughs> so I, I mean, I would, yeah, I, I, I probably would too. So, um, yeah, some, some crazy, uh, some crazy stories in that book, but, um, uh, I mean, their best player was probably Fred Carter, whose nickname was Mad Dog, which came from uh, biting uh, Charlie Scott on the uh, shoulder. Uh, it was basically like a good player who, but just not, you know, like not a guy who could carry a team, obviously. Right. And he credited himself with inventing the fist bump. Ooh, I, I have no idea whether yeah, that's true. That, if anybody, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. That, that would be pretty impressive pretty if it were true. I mean, you're making a lot of money now if you did. It, it um, would have been smart. Yeah. Gee, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's. They, my dogs do not believe that. No, they don't believe. Yeah, they don't believe the mad dog. That was not him. Uh, wow, that's really, yeah. Um, how can you prove that? I don't know. Yeah, that. I mean, go with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Exactly. That's Might as well. Yeah, I don't know how you could uh, prove one way or another. So I, I don't know. Um, I um, so they, they, and it's funny because like you know, you know, this is like portrayed as like a reputation destroying type thing. But, you know, really, they just cleaned house the next season. Uh, they got Doug. Doug Collins was who they ended up picking in the uh, draft. The book focuses a lot on them trying to woo uh, Bill Walton out of college, um, you know, mm-hmm. thinking that Bill Walton might, you know, might come out and um, and, and, and so forth. And he, he would have been the big prize, um, obviously, but he didn't come out for another year. So they got Doug Collins, who was pretty good, but was but had a lot of injuries. And then, you know, within the next couple of years, they got um, – they got George McGinnis and uh, and Julius Irving and, you know, were a championship. You know, I, they went to, I think, four finals out of six seasons and, you know, and and were fine. And, and obviously, were what, you know, became one of the, you know, uh, had, had a great run, run finally winning the title in 83. So um, it didn't take that long for them to turn things around, uh, is my point. So I, I do think that sometimes we think, you know, there's sort of this thing about like, oh, the the culture is going to get terrible on, you know, uh, on, a, on a team that that, you know, is so bad or tanks or whatever. And, it, and it's not able to be turned around. But in most cases, you know, it can be turned around. I mean, there there are some, you know, repeated year after year bad teams that I know we'll talk a little bit about, like some of the Clipper teams and some of the Grizzlies teams and, and, and so forth. But um 
it doesn't really seem like it, it, it seems like these things are generally reversible. Yeah, right. Uh, more times than not, once you start getting some good players in and start winning, uh, the, the, the culture of losing is, is pretty well gone. But yeah, there, there are obviously examples, but, but a lot, we'll see. And, and when we will break down a lot of the worst teams of all time, if we look at those, it, it, there's not a lot of them in there that really were bad for you know, a really, really long time. A lot of times the bottoming out sort of led to, to success you know, not that long after. So it, it, it's a pretty interesting study there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then uh, we, we, of course, have the uh, another really famous example and, and basically the teams that sort of led to um, that that led to the uh, institution of the uh, NBA lottery, the um, the 83 and 84 <laughs> uh, Houston Rockets. So, um uh, yeah, they. I mean, they knew they were rebuilding. Um, I, I don't know if the '83 team is really, if you could really say that they were necessarily like a, a tanking team, like the '83 team going for Ralph Sampson. I mean, they knew if they were going to be bad, but I, mean, I think they were just genuinely like awful. Like, I don't think they need to do anything extra to be bad. I mean, they had, you know, they had Caldwell Jones, who they got in the Moses Malone trade, but he was 32, and you know, uh, you know, Elvin Hayes, who was 37. Um, and Calvin Murphy was 34. So, and Billy Pulse, who was 34, he didn't play much. So, I mean, they had a bunch of guys who, you know, the, the, all the name players on that team were, you know, definitely on the wrong side of age of 30. Um, but the interesting thing, and I know you looked up an article for this is just how like much they didn't seem to like mind losing. Yeah, no, and, and and the article, and you can look it up on the SI Vault uh, as well, and maybe if people want, we can link it uh, on the Twitter account as well, but it's called The Race for Ralph, is essentially is the name of the article, and it's it's the first real instance that I could find in SI where where there was an article written about a team, you know, losing and losing with some amount of purpose or whatever, and, and you could say, like you said, yeah, I think that team was going to be bad regardless, whether they, you know, quote, wanted to lose or not, but the details in there are basically saying that, yeah, I mean, these guys... They're not really upset about losing. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're not tossing and turning at night, wondering how do we fix this right now. You know, we we need to do this. You know, there, there's quotes about, you know, the image of the NBA and 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 having such a terrible team and what that would do to the image of the NBA. Um, you know, p- talking about how they they had the Cavaliers' first round pick via trade as well as their own. Uh, so they set out. Here, here's the exact quote: The Rockets, possessed of Cleveland's first round pick via trade as well as their own, set out late last October with a chance to make the ultimate pick. <laughs> uh, they were uh, the least in the West, holding the pick of a, a pygmy of the East. <laughs> Houston didn't tarry. It's it's a quite a uh, elegant little piece here. Uh, Houston didn't tarry, losing its first ten games and sinking to the bottom Western Conference. It was doubly cheered to see Cleveland lurch to a thirty uh, three and twenty two record in the East. So it it a lot of ways turned into a perfect storm of them, where you know Houston had their first round pick and they knew they were going to be bad, but then it was awesome because Cleveland was bad too and they had their first round pick. So it really looked like a really good situation for them. And and yeah, and all the quotes that you see with the general managers, he goes, "When we started the season, we figured we'd be in the cone flip, so we thought we like like just yeah yeah whatever, dude yeah." Um, uh, this is from uh, General Manager Ray Patterson, uh, General Manager Ray Patterson again. He says, uh, every game we played, I emotionally wanted to win, but logically you can absorb the losses. So <laughs> everything was done looking forward to next uh, next year. And, and and one NBA team official says, uh, Ray Patterson has done anything or hasn't done anything this year except sit around and talk at meetings. Uh, he just left the club with all those older players. So essentially that 
there was no intention of getting them better. There was no calls being made by Ray Patterson to say, hey, we have this guy and we want this guy. And, you know, we need we need a power forward. We need that. I mean, it's just basically we're just going to let this kind of go and, and, and do what it is. And and in a ways, it's not a bad. I mean, it's really not a bad plan he had, especially when he had the Cleveland pick. And when he mentions that they saw that Cleveland was bad, too, it was like, well, you know, why? You know, we're good. Like, this is exactly what we want. So it's one of those situations where you can't really fault the team. But, yeah, I, I think it was I don't know if it was as much intentional as it just sort of happened as well. But but sure. the 84 season, uh, well, we'll get into that. That that might have been yeah. <laughs> a little that, different. That, so. That's a different. That, yeah, that's a different. I mean, just, you know, on the 83 season, um, yeah, I mean, because Cleveland, you know, they were terrible every year there, and they were always trading away their picks. So a lot of teams took advantage of, you know, the dumb things that they um, were why? able to do. Why did they do that? Well, you know. You always look through history. You're like, Cleveland traded the first yeah. pick. Like, why are you why? trading why? that? Like, what are you doing? You like, can, just keep that guy. That. Like, yeah. And then, like, so, everybody always drafts really good players with them, too. They're like, oh, we just got, like, you know, Magic Johnson with the pick. And it's like, dude, just keep your damn pick. Like, why are you trading those? Like, didn't wasn't Magic Johnson uh, the result of a, a Cavaliers first-round pick? No, he was he was the Jazz. The, when the Jazz. Oh, it was either the I always mix up the Jazz yeah, and the for, Cavs uh, in terms uh, of, for like, Goodrich. Yeah. gunslinging GMs. They're just giving away first-round picks. Like, it's just, I, and I guess, I mean, when we talk about GMs being different in those days, I mean, that's a shining example. I mean, there's very few times where it really happens as much as it happens. Nowadays, you'll get the stuff where, you know, 15 years later they decided ah well you take that two you know 2027 first round pick we'll see what happens or whatever you know like the baron davis to the clippers deal gets you know baron davis to the to the Cavs gets you know kyrie irving or whatever so you so you get those situations every so often but to have it it's just hilarious to see old gunslinging gms that are just giving out first round picks like crazy but you know hey exactly yeah i'm glad they did because it made it for a fun fun <laughs> We a podcast like this would barely be as much fun if we didn't know that you know the Jazz were just traded Magic Johnson. The, like you know, come on. The, the mistakes of history make for interesting podcasts. Exactly right, right. So yeah, then um, you know, he, so Houston ended up with the first and third picks, um, and they they got Ralph Sampson and Rodney McRae, and um, and, and Sampson you know was was good player, but was sort of yeah he might be a player who might. Um, be better used now when we're sort of, you know, we can sort of accept in modern basketball, a seven, four guy who, you know, prefers to play away from the basket. Where yeah, that who likes just, to shoot, you know? Yeah. Where that was just like a, <laughs> that was a terrible, you know, it was like, what do you do? You know, you, you have to rebound, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, you get your back to the basket and, and, yeah. and bang down low and, and, and you look at him now. I mean, you look at the body type that Ralph Sampson has now. You you can really envision him in today's NBA being really good. I mean, when you, I mean, obviously he doesn't have the shooting stroke of like a Kevin Durant, but he looks like you know what I mean in terms of his body structure, the height, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you, you could see how he'd so easily fit in to today's NBA. You know, doing pick and pops, pick and rolls, that sort of stuff. He'd be great in it. But yeah, as you mentioned in those days, that was like sacrilegious to be a, a you know that tall and not be banging down low and, right. and getting rebounds and dunking every time you touch the ball. You know, it's it's unheard of. But today, I mean, it, it's it's amazing how good he might be today you know in today's nba but and, and i imagine you know he he probably had to adjust his game to play with uh hakeem too and um you, you can kind of see like his best season was his rookie season you know it seemed like that was kind of when he played more comfortably and then after that i mean um was it was a pretty good player for a couple of years and then he fell off with injuries and um and other issues he ended up being just being disappointed mostly because of injuries and just because of you know, maybe not fitting the times or fitting you know the the team, even though obviously they had a, a you know, a, a run to the finals in 86. Um, McCray, you know, was a solid player, but um, didn't really do much. I mean, they, the um, the Rockets had a, had a chance to draft uh, Byron Scott or um, 
Clyde Drexler, who was draft 14th in um, in uh, that year, who of course was a U- University of Houston guy. So um, you know, imagine if they'd uh, imagine if they'd, uh, they'd been able to get uh, yeah. get Drexler and then Elijah on the next year. That certainly would have uh, that, that a dynasty might have made. But you know. Um, I mean, they still had, you know, they had a pretty good run until it all kind of fell apart with the drug scandal and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of problems in the, uh, late eighties. And then of course, you know, putting the other team together with Akeem in the uh, mid nineties and having a good run there. So eventually got good for them, but it it did, uh, it took a couple of regime, uh, changes, so to speak, um, to, uh, to actually kind of make that happen. But, um, yeah, but then 84, I mean, that was really when they, um, when it got really bad and there's a sporting news article uh kind of looking back on that and yeah basically at one point the rockets were 24 and 37 and then they ended up finishing um five and 15 uh with uh with with, yeah 20 games to play the the clippers finished uh one game ahead of them um and then that would basically was pat williams who was the general manager of the sixers at the time and the Rockets were they had a deal with with the basically the Sixers could have gotten the number one or number two pick if it hadn't have been for the Rockets tanking. Essentially, they ended up going they were down to they were lower and they got Charles Barkley, which wasn't a bad, you know, consolation prize. But they could they could have had Jordan or maybe Elijah Wan if, you know, um, if that hadn't have, hadn't have happened. But anyway, um, but they basically said, yeah, this is, you know, they they went right after the season was done. They had an owners meeting and no one's happy. And then they just said they said no more coin flips we're going to issue a draft lottery and they basically did it immediately so there was no um <laughs> there there was no pussyfooting around <laughs> not much of an owner's vote or if there was an owner's vote it was uh pretty unanimous yeah i mean maybe one, yeah, they, <laughs> maybe they, one they, team did not vote for it but they uh, didn't have to talk about it too too long i guess so uh and, that, and that's when when i talk about tanking that that's one and especially if you look at that roster and who they were pulling out there and what they were doing I mean, that that was a pretty obvious one where it was to me, and, and I'm not going to fault them for it. I mean, I I don't know if it's a, a bad strategy, you know, given the, the rules that the NBA had at the time. But that's always what I think of tanking is when we look in the mirror and we go, you know what, it'd be better if we lost. That that to me, in midseason, when you can have the chance to put out a better team and to have a chance to win, you intentionally, you know, maybe putting out a lesser product. That to me is always what I thought tanking was. Yeah, so. and and there that was when they were playing Alvin Hayes, who's 38, right. a whole <laughs> lot of minutes with the stated goal of getting him to 50,000 uh, minutes in his career. Um, and yeah, just, um, yeah, they're, they're clearly not playing. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, they clearly weren't sending guys out there to win it, which, you know, again, it's, you know, yeah, I, I, as long as the players who are in the game are playing as well, you know, as well as they can, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, even though it is a little bit like, eh, you know, that that's a little bit, more of a um an ethical line for me than you know um uh than just building a team that you want you know like putting together a young team you don't know is going to be good but wanting to get them good experience i think is different than like throwing out like old guys and guys that you don't think have any future just just because you want to lose yeah absolutely agreed yeah so, uh, so we've talked about, of course, a couple of, uh, of, of history's greatest losers. And, uh, now we're going to talk about some losers that some, our personal favorites, maybe, or ones that we yeah, experienced oh, yeah. close up. 
Uh, yeah, I, I <laughs> depending on my age, I probably wouldn't consider these one one of my favorites. But but kind of growing up in it, I, I really enjoyed it. And and um and that sounds horrible. I'm sure <laughs> there's a lot of people that are older than me that live in Chicago that didn't enjoy the run of the baby bulls. But I but I as a as a young basketball fan enjoyed it because I was when I when I was watching, I was thinking, hey, you know, I'm I'm ahead of the game here. I'm watching guys that are going to be future legends here. I'm watching Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler and Jamal Crawford. Like I'm seeing yeah. the stars Dickie of Simpson. the future and Dickie, Dickie, Dickie yeah, all oh, right, Rand, yeah, yeah, Hersey yeah. Hawkins. I I don't know who that guy is. I'm sure he's good or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so you you look at. I'm talking with the baby bulls here. I'm talking about, and, and this isn't really one year of tank. This is sort of, and again, I don't know if this is necessarily a tank as much as it is just a terrible team. That's that's in a lot of ways, intentionally terrible to, for a, a, a stated goal. But then at a certain point got past that and was like, okay, now get good. Oh God, we're still awful. Like this is not good. You know, there, there was a few years where, Hey, let's just, you know, generate picks, get these young players and then we're ready to go. And it, it, it took forever to get them really going. It took until, you know, the mid two thousands, the Scott Skiles coach teams to really do anything to get to the playoffs. And then of course it took, you know, Derek Rose and, and Tom Thibodeau to really get to that next level. So it's been a long road for, the Bulls uh, to get where they're at but you know looking at the, the baby Bulls obviously 1998-99 this is the breakup of the Jordan Pippen Rodman Jackson core they all go their separate ways everyone's gone the team is just in shambles the best you know there's they're, they're bad but they're not so so bad that we'd see a little bit later I mean they're, they're they're not good they're not good at all but you still had Tony Kukoc who was still a pretty good player in his own right a guy that that everybody sort of assumed on his own could do well and, and did okay on a team that wasn't very good um the depth wasn't there though um there, there was not really many good guys I mean, we had Brent Berry uh, a very young Brent Berry as you mentioned Dickie Simpkins who <laughs> shouldn't never get starters minutes and got starters minutes uh Cornell David of course the famous Cornell David right what, what's your favorite Cornell David uh, memory um when you just talked about him right then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or playing as him in NBA Showtime is the only other acceptable answer <laughs> of these two. For the Dreamcast, you can play as Cornell David. It's on the arcades as well. He's one of my favorite because because I always had friends that were like, we'd go play that game in an arcade and they'd be like, the Bulls. And I'm like, all right. Like, okay. <laughs> all like, right, sure. And then they'd be like Cornell David and like BJ Armstrong. And they're like, oh, man. I was like, I told you. Like, And then I'm going to go be the Raptors and I have T-Mac and Vince Carter. And, you know. Yeah. Yay. Better. But yeah, they, yeah. they were always like, well, I got to be the Bulls. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Knock yourself up. Bill Wennington and Cornell <laughs> yeah, David. That's, cool. I'm sure that's a good team. Um, yeah, I mean, those were the best three players after Kukoc. That kind of yeah. tells you what you got there. They still had Ron Harper. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had um, – I guess he had – was he that awful yet? I, I He was getting old, though, because he was yeah, old he was even 30, when the Bulls were good. I mean, he, he was, was 30, still yeah, – Yeah, he was 35 at that point. Um, looking at uh, – he had like a 14.7 PER, um, yeah, true shooting percentage of uh, 451. So he was yeah. definitely uh, definitely in decline. Um at that point. And, and, you know, he might, he was a little bit less of a, those metrics may not quite measure his worth as a player, but still he was, right. uh, yeah, not, not, not looking great for him. Uh, no, no. And, and that's, it, it's a very interesting team. Cause there's still that kind of blend of old and new that we sort of talk about when you talk about teams that, you know, quote tank or whatever. I don't know if this team necessarily intended to lose. I mean, it just sort of happened because of, uh, of who was left on the team, but you still had six guys under the, or over the age of 30, rather a nice little blend of old and new. And they really hadn't had a chance to get these really good draft picks. Well, after this year, they were able to get a number one pick, uh, you know, they get Elton brand. They had run our test. Uh, there's a few other guys, but you're starting to get this influence of young talent. You're getting, you know, you know, there's still six guys over 30, but they're starting to really kind of be faded out. And you're really starting to feature the newer guys, the, the, the younger bulls, the, what we call, you know, eventually the baby bulls or whatever. Um, 
you know, 2000, uh, 2001, uh, that's a team now where now we're full out baby bolts. There's not a single player on that team that is over the age of 30. Um, this is also the year where, where they missed out on signing Tracy McGrady, uh, Tim Duncan. I think Grant Hill was another one of these free agents. This is a big free agent class. This is one that we always sort of talk about in history of a lot of teams shed a ton of payroll to get these guys. And the Bulls are one of those teams, too, that just assumed we're the Bulls. We're, you know, a historic franchise in the past decade. You know, we have cap space. Come on board, all these guys. And nobody came. And then they had to sign Ron Mercer. Yeah. And give Ron Mercer a lot of money to be uh, essentially their marquee free agent of the offseason. So so this is the first season where you kind of look at it being, okay, you know, again, I don't know if they were intentionally bad. It just sort of happened by not signing anybody that they wanted to sign. I mean, there are a lot of good players they thought they were going to sign. They got absolutely none of them. Um, so Ron Mercer became the second player. Um, 2001-2002 is an interesting year because now we're getting into a different sort of era of the Baby Bulls and, and an era that I love because it was like, cool, I'm getting it on the ground floor. Elton Brand, who's still super young, I mean, he's, what, two years removed from being the number one pick, he's traded for Tyson Chandler, who's, you know, an, an untested, you know, largely unknown 18-year-old out of high school, but but had all this raw ability and raw talent that everybody kind of went gaga over. Uh, they drafted Eddie Curry, who was a local Chicago kid that that – you know, had the body type that, you know, big bulking center that you assumed, okay, this guy is just going to dominate the league, you know, back to the basket. He's going to be great. Um, this is a this is a weird blend of a team because I remember when this team happened and it was it was very weird because you have these eighteen year olds and you have you know Curry and, and Chandler who are both out of high school, and then you sign uh, Greg Anthony. And Charles Oakley. Or you acquire Greg Anthony and you sign Charles Oakley. Or I, I trade. Or I, I don't remember how they got Charles Oakley. But you have like 38-year-old or 39-year-old Charles Oakley running around. You have Greg Anthony. So those are the only two players over 30. Uh, you also, you also at this, you know, at some point during the season, you add Jalen Rose to the mix. And, and, and Jalen g- g- loved this opportunity because he shot at least 20 times a game. And just that was his goal. He was like, cool. Nobody's going to care if I shoot all the time. And this was another year where, where – they didn't want to be good. It was a sense of you know what, hey, it's okay if we're not that bad, uh, you know if we're if we're bad because a lot of the the, the big reasons was get that next draft and there was a few guys in that next draft, the 2002 2003 draft. Uh, the guy they eventually got was Jay Williams, but there's some quotes in an SI article I found that that really kind of alludes to the fact that the Bulls really knew that the 0102 season was nothing. I mean, the, the signing Jalen Rose and telling him shoot at will was was kind of a way of saying we we don't really want to win. Uh, here's the quote here. It says. Um, uh, will the 2001-2002 season become a throwaway campaign for the Bulls designed to get Curry and Chandler some playing time and the franchise a shot at Duke point guard Jason Williams in next year's draft? Ultimately, that could be the pressure release that Floyd, Tim Floyd, uh, the head coach, and Chicago needs. So, of course, they got the guy they wanted. They got Jay Williams. Um, of course, there were issues with him. But, you know, looking at this era of the Baby Bulls, it, it took a while. It took the drafts of Ben Gordon, the drafts of, of Kirk Heinrich, as I mentioned, Scott Skiles becoming a coach, uh, you know, to really get them into the playoffs and get them to be a team that were at least something, that at least had a pulse. But they had a ton of, ton of early first-round picks in this first little era, and this was sort of their goal was was to accumulate all these picks over time and then eventually just get it going and become a good team. But, I mean, you look at their picks. This is between 2008 and uh, 2000, uh, or 1998 and uh, 2002. Uh, both first-round picks, we have Elton Brand first overall. Uh, Marcus Pfizer, who was fourth overall and looked to have a bunch of raw talent and just never really worked out. Uh, Chris Mim, who was promptly traded for Jamal Crawford. Um, Eddie Curry, who was the fourth overall pick. Um, and then Jay Williams, who, who was the second overall pick. So they accumulated a lot of this talent. But, you know, you can tell there's a few guys in there that, that it just didn't really go together. But, but they're always a team that I remember because growing up as a kid, you know, becoming a basketball fan at that time and really becoming a, a hardcore basketball fan at that time, 
I love going to games because they were so cheap. To, I mean, my school would literally give away tickets. If you just went there, if you had perfect attendance or you did something, they would just hand you Bulls tickets. Like you could just show up, you know, the day of the game and get, you know, five or $10 Bulls tickets or whatever. And there still had good crowds at the time because there was still the aura of I'm going to see the Chicago Bulls. But that's why I always have a, a fondness in my heart for that team is because I watched them. I watched the Ronald Dupree era, you know, Bulls and and just these really, really terrible teams that, that I don't know. They're an interesting case of would you consider it tanking or would you consider it just being bad? to be bad you know i i think there's difference yeah i mean i i would consider it more in the um you know uh the rebuilding as opposed to throwing games type of tanking right right. um you know yeah but they did i mean that that stretch of badness those three years from 2000 to 2002 where they won 17 15 and 21 games is <laughs> is among the worst uh three game stretches of all time but that's a pretty remarkable uh stretch of badness there i mean it's not quite the worst but it is um among those yeah i, I my guess is that tim floyd was not a very good coach <laughs> that is uh breaking news yes uh tim floyd and also uh the guy the man who replaced him bill cartwright also uh not very good so yeah he breaking new uh, ground here. Yeah. Tim, Tim yeah, Floyd. He, uh, no, <laughs> he did last. He lasted another season. I forgot about that. Oh, Bill Carter. Oh, yeah, and then beginning of the 04 season. That's right. They replaced him with Scott Skiles. Yes. And, right. And yeah. so, get, so he, they didn't get good till 05. That was, uh, that's right. That was the year. That, that was that weird. Yeah. That was the year where they, they, they weren't good at the beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden, so, like something clicked in and, 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 and that happens with Scott Skiles teams, teams buy into his, yeah. you know, kind of defense and yelling and him being a, you know, a giant red ass or whatever. And like, and especially that team, which was made up of a lot of really, you know, Really good, hard, you know, smart sort of college players. You know, guys like Ben Gore and yeah. a Dang, a Kirk Heinrich, like guys with good college pedigree. So yeah, a red ass coach that's screaming at him really yeah. clicked for a lot of the guys. Didn't click for Tyson Chandler. It was many, many years uh, removed from the Bulls until Tyson Chandler finally got it. And he remarks that Scott Skiles, he just hated Scott Skiles. And and Eddie Curry, uh, one of my favorite quotes of Scott Skiles ever. And 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 how you can tell that teams kind of get sick of him when he's their coach. Um, there's a quote about Eddie Curry, and, and, and at one point a Chicago reporter, you know, because Eddie Curry was never a good rebounder, ever. And, um, you know, for being his size and his, his strength and his, you know, his, his, his footprint uh, on, the, on the basketball court, you assumed he'd be good. Uh, so a coach asked him, you know, or, or a reporter asked uh, Skiles, you know, how could he get more rebounds? And, uh, and Skiles said, jump. <laughs> was his response. <laughs> I that just being great. It's like, yeah, I could see why teams really just kind of don't listen to you after like two years like it happened with the bucks too like the bucks did the same thing where everybody bought in and then everyone's like fuck this guy we're sick of him or whatever like it, it happens with skiles and, and and quotes like that and and you know tyson chandler has an article um that he uh I, I don't know if he wrote but he gave quotes to a few years ago where he talked about how skiles just lit into him at constant so so it was kind of the younger uh college guys that, that bought into skiles system that that when they finally you know started finally getting kind of good yeah so. they had antonio davis too he was actually really good Yes. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he was, another, yeah, um, yeah, he was, he was, um, they had, it was an interesting roster because they, they never, yeah. and that's why I always say they, they never fully were just super, super young. I mean, they, they, there was that one year where, you know, there was nobody over 30, but they always sort of blended it in with a fewer older guys and veterans and, and guys that they'd always hope would sort of calm yeah. the, 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 you know, calm the, 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 the locker room or whatever, you know, yeah. you have a guy like Antonio Davis, like a Charles Oakley, a Scotty Pippen, they bring brought back for a year. You know, there's a lot of examples sure. of that. Yeah, and and that's kind of like I think that's like a double edged sword sometimes. I mean, Antonio Davis was good because he was you know good leader and he still played well. Um, you know, it's interesting because Dang Duhan, uh, Gordon, and, and Nocioni were all rookies that year. That was a pretty good. That's four pretty good players to get in. Oh, one, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, Duan had a couple of good years, and and Ochoa was pretty good for a while, and of course, and Gordon was real good for his you know first three four years, and Deng's you know a good player, obviously. I mean, I guess it seemed more impressive when they were young because not all of them ended up having you know, they out, several of them faded out, but um, but still at the time, you know, the, that was a pretty good group of young players. Plus, you had Heinrich as court, a second yeah. year guy. So, um, but um, but yeah, I, I, you know, but I I do think that sometimes like I mean. You talk about like that veteran influence being a positive thing, and it definitely can be. But there's also like, um, you know, I was kind of thinking of a few, a couple of months ago when there was sort of like that, um, when there was like the discussion of um, like Carmelo Anthony and Tim Hardaway Jr. getting into a fight or something like on the Knicks. And there was just like a bunch of like dysfunction there. And I was mm-hmm. just kind of thinking like, you know, that's one advantage to an approach that, that the 76ers basically have, you know, of basically um, only having young players for the most part, they have Jason Richardson, but he's not, um, you know, um, he's obviously not playing. He's been hurt. And, uh, and Mamute, who's, you know, basically been a role player his entire career, but, but they don't have like, you know, like a veteran name or anything, but like, you know, like, on one hand, like you do worry about like, you know, like it's probably good to have some veterans in there to give you an example of how to play and, and blah, blah. You can see the value in that. But at the same time, like those veterans still have egos. They still want to play. They still are probably better than the young players in a lot of respects. And the coaches tend to want to play the veterans over the young players. And if they don't, then you you have a a threat of a toxic locker room or at least issues there. I mean, you know, there's, I, I do think like, you know, the veterans in, you know, in theory, it's, it's nice and it does work sometimes, but it also can like be a bad situation too. If you don't, I guess if you just don't have the right veterans. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the example that I brought up about Jalen Rose of just, you know, being a total chucker when, when he was right. on the bulls might be a situation like that where he was like, cool, I'm just going to put up a bunch of numbers and, and not really care about, you know, doing anything but that. And that's what he was. I mean, he, he was not pat. I mean, I, I remember watching those games. It was ISO Jalen Rose pretty much the entire game. And I, I don't know how much Jamal Crawford learned by watching, you know, Jalen Rose ISO people, but you know, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Crawford I guess it did work. It, yeah. Kind of made a Actually, you know what? That. Never mind. I take yeah. that back. He goes, you know what? I'm not, I'm just going to come in off the bench. You know, he learned that he could do it off the bench. That I don't have to start. I'll come in and then, yeah, I'll just dribble around a lot and then take a shot. And a lot of times it'll go in. So I always like I'll give him that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jamal Crawford is my favorite player who isn't really actually that good, but is just really <laughs> right. fun to watch. Like I, I was well, so it's smart of him to realize I, I credit to him of saying, you know, what? yeah, I'll come off the bench. Screw it. I mean, I'll, I, who cares if I start? I'm just going to be able to because he, he doesn't have to do anything you know like when he comes off the bench no one's gonna care that he just comes in and chucks i mean he's not really very good but yeah yeah yeah, i mean he he figured out the perfect role for him and and it it fits his skill set and all that i mean either he's perfectly fine at what he does but um but but yeah i mean he's just like um i was really glad when he was on the hawks for a few years because just he was fun to watch you know um absolutely uh he doesn't really yeah like i said he has all these flaws as a player but he just is really he's a really fun one-on-one player to watch so uh, so good for him. So, um, anything else on the, uh, on your bulls? No, that's it for the baby bulls, unfortunately. All right. Well, um, I am going to talk about a team that I always bring up or pretty much always bring up on this show, the, uh, 2004, 2005 Hawks who were, uh, built around, uh, new additions, uh, Antoine Walker, who had just come from a season <laughs> of, uh, of missing more three pointers than anybody else in history, I believe in, in Dallas and, uh, Al Harrington, um, who they had uh, picked up from the uh, Pacers. I think they traded Steven Jackson for him, uh, to the Pacers. 
And he, Al Harrington was still, he was 24. So he was kind of a young up and comer, you know, still kind of unclear what his career path would end up being. Um, and uh, they also, I'd imagine that trade went really well for the Pacers. Uh, I'm guessing multiple, <laughs> you know, Eastern Conference finals appearances and, and possibly, you know, well, they, it went okay for a little while. And then there were, yeah. there, then there may have been a few issues there. Um, We'll have to, we'll have to, yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll have to look it up at some point. I, I just there, imagine that there really may have well, been so. some malice involved. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At some venue that it rhymes. As with. we're saying that I'm looking at the, the, the ESPN thing scrolled in Detroit and Indiana just scrolled up. Oh, on my nice. Screen. There you go. That is very odd. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. There you go. I'm imagining Roy Herbert did not punch <laughs> Jonas Valanciunas or uh, uh, Jonas Drepko today, but I, I don't know that. I cannot confirm nor deny yeah. that. They had a gigantic, a gigantic brawl in today's NBA game. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, that that would be that would be quite. Uh, we probably would be talking about that if that were the case. But so um, they had uh, they had Josh Childress, Josh Smith, and Royal Ar- Royal Ivy as their big rookies. And uh, Boris Diaw was in his second year. He was used as a point guard by uh, Mike Woodson um, because Mike Woodson didn't really know what to make of Boris Diaw. <laughs> uh, and in fairness, like it. It was kind of hard to see, like, you know, the game was changing, um, you know, so it was kind of a little bit hard to see what um, you could do with Boris Diaw because he just was totally unwilling to shoot and was, you know, he he could pass that, you know, it was a great skill, but it was really hard to find. It, it was hard, at least in this team, to find a good role for him, but then get a good coach like uh, Mike D'Antoni and yeah, you uh, you find a, a great role for him. So, yeah, um, I remember him being a total and even when the Suns got him, I remember uh, being a lot of a laughable player that people just didn't understand, you know, what would what he was capable of. And, and credit to D'Antoni to really figuring out. Yeah, look, this is the best, you know, because he I mean, God, he used him so, so well. And uh, yeah, you really have to go back and look. We take it for granted knowing what, what Diaw is now, but you really take for granted what he you know was then, which was nothing. He was he was a weird, weird, weird player at that time. Yeah. So they had um and they brought in uh, they brought in Kenny Anderson, who of course was a Georgia Tech star and one of the great college point guards of of all time. I guess really high school point guards. He he was really hyped as you know and ended up having you know good but not great NBA career. Uh, Kevin Willis, who had been a, a Hawk star in the '80s, was 42 at this point and still playing. Still played for a couple more years actually, and. Um, and uh, also John Barry, who would play at Georgia Tech as well, um, who would be traded uh, fairly soon in, into the season for uh, my favorite Hawk of the season, Tyron Lue, who uh, yes. oh, yeah. basically was the only was one of the very few things of joy um, into the season. I mean, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that's not... He, there was just the like <laughs> that should not happen. Right. I mean, if Tyron Lue is a source of joy or one of your top sources of joy, that that's right. That's probably right. Not good, I, and they were 13 and 69. Um, they they. They were they were terrible. This was the I had just moved to Atlanta in 2004. So um, I just kind of was like, oh, I'd like to be I'd like to pick a team here to like and to root for. And because I like sports. So I ended up picking the Hawks and learned about the Hawks and uh, and then kind of there sort of created my um, NBA obsession that I continue today. Um, 
so you know what a team to inspire that of course a a, <laughs> right. a terrible <laughs> terrible team ever watch another nba game right again, I, but yeah I, the the first game that i went to in fact was a game against your uh, bulls that year and they lost by like 40 at home so um <laughs> and eddie curry was just like awesome in that game he had like that, i think that was the really good eddie curry year right uh i believe so yes because there was one year where he led the nba in field goal percentage and it was just like aha i finally figured it out and then he regressed and then he got traded away and all that good stuff right. but yeah i remember remember there being that one eddie curry year where it was like oh my god like there's this is what we wanted and then yeah that short-lived yeah. but yeah that that sounds about right so yeah so it was just um yeah it, it there was they ended the uh season with just some some sort of like in uh I, i'm looking it up here because i'm trying to rem- they <laughs> they went one in 27 from February 10th to April 8th. Um, <laughs> they did beat the uh, 2005 Timberwolves. So, oh, there you go. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was exciting to see Josh Smith initially because um, we didn't know what was to come with the long twos. And we did. I don't think we would have understand how bad long twos were even, you know, in this is 2005 still. So it's not quite, you know, the. The analytics aren't quite there. The you know understanding of spacing and and all that, at least not like on a like team fan level. Right. right. Uh, this is uh, still when Allen Iverson is still being you know considered one of the best. I mean, the, he lived and died by by long twos for the most sure, part, and and, sure. it, and nobody cared. I mean, that, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. it's a different game. Yeah, that, that that stuff wasn't as well understood. Um, him dribbling around, deking a few guys, and, and then taking a seventeen footer was like, ah, sweet. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he was nineteen too. So, I mean, he right. dunked and he could block shots and it was cool. So, yeah, that was that totally um, and that was that was totally fine. I, I like Josh Childers a lot. He had the goal fro and and he, he actually was a pretty good player for a while. And it then was went great. To and, yeah. and then just completely fell off when he came back. But um, so, you know, I, I have some fond memories of following the team. Um, and then, you know, they, they weren't really very good for the next few years either. There was kind of the fiasco of um trade tra- uh, trying to get josh or excuse me joe johnson over in the offseason they ended up doing a uh sign in trade with phoenix even though phoenix likely would not have matched the because joe was a restricted free agent they ended up giving up two uh, draft picks in there um one that turned out to be um rajon rondo and the other that turned out to be um uh, that turned out to be Robin Lopez uh, that in that very, very came close to uh, having the Hawks end up losing out on Al Horford. So, yeah. Well, thankfully the, the, the Suns also screwed up those picks too. So you don't have to worry. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's true. Um, so you take some solace in the fact that the Suns also screwed that, those picks up. Yeah. So, so and then also in that off season, they, that was, they drafted Marvin Williams instead of Chris Paul, which um, I don't really want to talk about. But um, <laughs> that Marvin was the best of us. Marvin Williams Marvin was I, fine. I, at the time. I thought Marvin was going to be pretty sweet. It, it, yeah, it. I could have been dumb, but I thought he was. Gonna I be I, I do think there were a lot, a lot of people who thought, oh, Marvin Williams is going to be an awesome talent, and he's he's the pick that you go with there. You know, even though they need a point guard, I think like that was. A defensive position at the time, and then you know, and then didn't didn't look good. And then yeah, getting the next that killer two or three guard was was a big deal. I mean, that was right. I mean, yeah, I, I totally defensible. I, I get yeah. in hindsight now, people, but at the time, I remember Marvin Williams. You know, six seven North Carolina product. You know, really good body, crazy athleticism. Like I, that was fine. I mean, it, it, at the time, it it wasn't a complete that I remember. It wasn't a complete like, oh my god, what a, a failed pick or whatever. It was. 
sure. Yeah, it was what it was. But sure. now in hindsight, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, Chris Paul just ended up being insane. And people thought he might be, yeah, short, that, that, yeah. Thought he might be too <laughs> short for the NBA. And they had a chance that Darren Williams was the other guy who was like, yeah, you know, so they, they had a chance at one of those guys and, and didn't get it. So, um, yeah, it, it took them a while to get good. They had two like mid 20s win seasons. Finally, the 08 season when they did draft Horford. Um, they were 37 and 45, but they ended up going seven um, games with the uh, with the Celtics that um, uh, in in the playoffs. I, and I went to one of those games. I, I think I think it was game four. Um, it might have been game three. Um, I I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, but it's, I actually well I, I've been I went to I've been to two playoff games. So I went to one of the Cavs. I went to the one of the ones the uh, I believe the last home playoff game that LeBron won. In in Cleveland, I believe that. Oh, okay. I believe oh, yeah. That okay. is the last game that I um went to. That series didn't go well after that. But um anyway um so yeah so you know I I have it, it's cool because after they got Horford they have been and still are a playoff team every year even though you know they've they've you know they've the maximum they've been to is in the second round they haven't necessarily had great showings in the playoffs and and they're never really been considered a contender although i think they've kind of been like on the edge of like uh eh, you know if something happened they could have got gone further and maybe even made it in the finals i mean it, it would have been an unlikely scenario but not impossible but I, I do think like i think i value the success that they have been having and especially this year we, you know being on pace for 60 wins with um, Horford, the only player left from that era of Hawks basketball when I was there watching, you know, when I lived in Atlanta and was there w- watching them every day. Um, I, um, I, I value that even if they, you know, even, they have had an eight year run of being in the playoffs and being pretty good and being pretty fun. And now adding on top of this, this, you know, this, this great season, however it turns out, however the rest of the season goes and, uh, the playoffs go. I, I really value a lot, like how exciting and how fun they've been, and and how just what a joy they are to watch. And yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and, and we're separated, you know, from ten years from this team, and and a lot of things have happened, a lot of regime changes. But it is, you know, I I can I can feel that link to that time, and so um, and that's that's part of my sentimental attachment to that that the first yeah, team absolutely. that I followed very closely. It, it pays, and and that's what happened with me, sort of when when the Bulls were 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 back in the playoffs with Derrick Rose and Bibbs, you know, and all those guys, and and, and Noah's and and those sort of guys is is that you go through. I mean, and that's and that's why I like bad teams. That's why I like kind of following. Sometimes I don't mind if my team's bad because then it, it's that much more rewarding when they're good again. You, you know what I mean? You live through the bad, you watch the bad, and and you sort of saw. The, the build, it's, it's a slow build a lot of times, but you see it, you know, what's kind of the idea there and why, you know, how you get from point A to point B. And it, it's that's exciting for me. And, I, and it's the same way in baseball. I love like prospects or bad teams and, and, and building up to the farm system, and that sort of stuff. It, it's it's not much different in basketball, too. I enjoy having I, I think it would get boring to have a team that was just perpetually good. I like having a really bad team every so often and and, and maybe even a two year uh, run of a bad team to see them build to that point and get to that point B. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely, there's no reason for you to not to be sentimental. It's, it's a great season by the Hawks. Yeah. And you, you know, you still have Kirk Heinrich from those years. So yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I know. I know. Like people like Kurt Heinrich is, is kind of the, you know, he gets a beating from all the, um, 
Bulls fans on Twitter. And, and <laughs> he's you not know, good. well, yeah, so but he's, you know, he's your link to that. I mean, oh, he went away though. <laughs> he went away and they were good, and then he comes back and now they're not as good. Yeah. I'm blaming it solely played, on him. But no, it was, it was for the fine. Hawks for a year. Yeah, I know we were perfectly okay without him. I don't know why yeah, he yeah, was I mean, okay for us. We I didn't mind him, but he was but fine. Was I mean, five yeah. years ago now, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's gotten much much worse than he was uh, five years ago. So yeah, I will tell you that. True. But yeah, yeah, the the yeah yeah I got Kirk Heinrich still. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a, a little break and talk about a few of our other favorite uh, worst team ever tanking stories. All right, and we're back, and we are talking about a few of our other favorite uh, or notable uh, tanking teams. You know, one that's, of course, brought up uh, a lot are both the 97 Spurs and the 97 Celtics, who were the kind of the favorites to um, get uh, Tim Duncan in the 97 draft, of course. uh, that worked out pretty well for San Antonio and not as well Absolutely. for um, for the, the Celtics, who were the first franchise ever. Now, you know, one thing I have to say about that whole situation is there are Celtics fans, you know, like obviously the Celtics had, you know, they, they have a Len Bias, they had the Len Bias tragedy. They had the um, Reggie Lewis tragedy, which, of course, were human tragedies but also set back the franchise and you you know you can kind of understand at both levels i feel like this 97 celtics thing it's like celtics people need to kind of get over that one because like teams are really bad and they lose in the lottery every year like every team does right. that like you're you're this team isn't special because they missed out on the tim duncan lottery like that's just like some weird but that's that's like you're that's like a celtic like arrogance of wanting thinking you should always be great and everything should be right, exactly. kind of feeling i i that that that's the way it speaks to me as a as a fan of a team with less historic success plus like the celtics had some pretty good teams between the you know like but yeah they had like a drought of that championship that 15 year drought or whatever or 20 year drought i guess but um you know they had a couple of good teams here and there so it's not like it was yeah by 98 like, 99 they were already okay yeah you, you know they had yeah. a conference finals appearance with walker and pierce and then you know so it wasn't like it was some like huge like you know like massive thing where they were terrible for 20 years right you know they, I mean, they yeah. had some down years but they had some good years too so so calm down, Celtics fans. So shut up. Yeah. <laughs> 1997. Oh, I'm shaking my fist right now. You can't see it <laughs> yeah. because this is a podcast, but you know, getting uh, that's, that's about as hot of a take as I'm going to get. So, so I don't know. Not, not much else there. Obviously the Spurs were bad because David Robinson was hurt pretty much the entire year. That was uh Popovich took over for uh, Bob Hill, which gets, so gets people uh, apparently they have weird feelings about that, even though I think Popovich turned out pretty well. Uh, there um that was also the dominique wilkins year for the um for the spurs oh right yeah yeah, yeah. they'd will famed <laughs> they'd will purdue as well and um vinnie del negro so so yeah they were a pretty old team by then they like almost everyone like all of their top seven players were older than 30 as far as minutes go 
Yeah, and that that was a team where uh, again, I and I don't blame them. I mean, you have David Robinson get hurt, and it's like, all right, well, you know, what are we doing here? Who cares? <laughs> you know, at this point, who cares? And 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 yeah, they're, they're a one that yeah, it, there's there's some issues with how you know bad, they, but they were just going to be bad regardless. I think I, yeah, that, they're one that I'm not really too upset about. That, that's one in history that that worked out perfectly well, and people sort of look at and use it as an example. But I mean, that team was no going to be no good anyway, so it's whatever. Yeah, I mean, looking at their record, I mean, they were they were one game worse than the Nuggets and two game worse than the, than the Sixers, and they weren't really that close to anybody else. So, I mean, you know, I guess they could have, in theory, um, uh, tanked some games to do that, but it wasn't like they were, you know, the the Celtics and the Grizzlies have the two worst records. I don't think the Grizzlies could get the number one pick that year. I think they were like ineligible for it for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I'm I'm always curious on on this year and and the whole pop run of how the hell he got to become the, the general manager of the team with like no front office experience whatsoever. That's like, interesting. Was, yeah, I never understood that. Like I always it always confused me when I was like when when they said oh well, he became he was general manager and then he became a head coach. And I'm like oh huh okay. And then like I look at his history and it's like yeah he was assistant here and assistant here and then he was hired as general manager. I'm like what like 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 this guy who really was just kind of a no name assistant becomes the vice president and general manager of basketball operations. Granted, it absolutely worked, but it's just, it's a very, I never understood how he got there. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't I, know if there's a, a long story somewhere or who he wowed or what he did, but it's just, it's very weird. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he has a relationship with Larry Brown. Um, and, um, so he was Larry Brown's assistant with the Spurs and, um, and apparently, that's really it, though. And then he was, yeah, under John and, Nelson, and then I think, he returned, the and then and then he returned there once Peter Holt purchased the team. So he must have had a relationship with Peter Holt. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, presumably. So yeah, I guess just from being the assistant, that, that is interesting. That's um, it's just a weird career path. I mean, usually those yeah. guys that do. I mean, you are you get guys in in history that do that, but a lot of times they're you know legendarily historic players or whatever, and their franchise that was with them or whatever. I mean, we we see examples like that where where those guys become GMs or whatever, but usually they have some front office. They they don't go from assistant to you know no name assistant, like a just absolute no name assistant to general manager, and then this general manager has enough power to fire his coach and become the head coach himself. It's very weird. It all obviously. Works worked out great but yeah it's it's a very odd situation I, I just don't get it it's very weird but all right yeah it worked so i'm not gonna get mad so yeah well i'm, I'm glad you're not getting mad you should get even <laughs> i'm gonna do that I'm gonna i hear it's assistant. better I, I hear it's better to get even than to get mad okay i like that all right so um so who, who's next all right, uh, one team that I always kind of, I wanted to put in here, and I'm not going to go into a ton of details about this. It's the 2002-2003 Cavaliers, and, and that's this was a, a, a deliberate attempt to kind of field a bad team to get in the lottery and to get you know LeBron James, and obviously <laughs> that all happened and it all worked out very well for the time for Cleveland, and, and in the long run, I believe it absolutely did work out well for Cleveland. But this wasn't a team that I think you know outwardly was tanking, but a lot of the moves they did at the beginning of the year sort of led them to say, hey, you know what, look, it'll be better if we're not very good this year. I mean, they traded Andre Miller, who had led the league in assists the prior year. I uh, traded him for uh, Darius Miles, which is always a really good <laughs> you know, thing when you can acquire Darius Miles. is always a good thing. Uh, Wesley Person was traded for, at the time, a guy that was just an absolute nobody, Matt Barnes. Um, huge minutes were given to Ricky Davis, which is usually a good recipe for not winning. Uh, and then rookie Carlos Boozer obviously got a ton of minutes, which which is fine. That, that was okay, and that worked out. But, uh, yeah, basically the you look at the Andre Miller trade and Wesley Purse. I mean, those are the two best players on their previous team that were just sent away for guys that were lesser and 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 really nothing players at that point. I mean, Darius Miles was 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 fun to watch, but but not a good player. And Matt Barnes was an absolute nothing. So, um, 
that team in the end, they finished, you know, bottom four in the league in points per game, offensive rating, defensive rating, opponent points per game. I mean, it, it was just a, not a very good year at all. Um, you know, they started at 8-34, and 34, so they weren't very good. Uh, Coach John Lucas was fired. He was replaced by Keith Smart, who who's always very good as well if you want to lose a lot of games. And he uh, he got them to a 9-31 and 31 record at the end. So he, he was just just as bad. So that, that was very good. Um, at the end of the year, there, there's a few quotes here from an ESPN article. Uh, Lucas, uh, he said that then going uh, – then, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers owner Gordon Gund had purposely traded away players who could contribute in order to foster a losing record, draft LeBron James, and increase the value of the franchise before selling them. Uh, he eventually did sell the team. Uh, Davis, uh, Ricky Davis agreed as well um, that the team was kind of essentially there to lose. And and him getting a lot of minutes was probably the reason why he thought that. He was kind of looked himself in the mirror and said, guys, I'm not very good. <laughs> why do you keep playing me? Like. I, th- I think this was the year too where he gave himself the triple double, right? Uh, I believe that was the year. Yeah, yes. it, it definitely was. It was before LeBron came, so it had been yeah. either this year or the year before. So, yeah, right. So, but that's funny that Ricky Davis, the guy who was one of the top players on the team, was like, "Yeah, we probably were trying to lose a lot," which yeah, that, that's that's always pretty good. So, that's a team right there, and it all obviously worked out for them pretty well. But yeah, this is a team that not necessarily tanking, but I, I guess you can sort of purposely losing. At the beginning of the year is is a good way to put that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're not that different from the, you know, from what, you know, the Sixers are doing now other than a better player, you know. Or yeah, and like, honestly, an Andre Miller-Wesley person Cavs team wasn't probably going to make a playoff run either. Yeah, I mean, that, that's to me, those are situations where I get it. I absolutely think that's the right idea is you look in the mirror and go, yeah. OK, what are we going to do with this core? Yeah, we can win, you know, 35 games and sneak into the eighth seed or whatever in the East or screw it. Let's lose a lot of games and try to get LeBron James. (laughs) And and, I mean, LeBron is not just a basketball difference, but a difference. Exactly. To Cleveland and and as well. You know, that was obviously a um, a great fortune for the for the Cavs. Um, Yeah, I I, no, I I I, I think that's an that's a. it's sort of an interesting mix of guys who that who that team had, and even like the first LeBron team, um, like they got rid of Darius Miles and they got rid of uh, <laughs> they got rid of um, um, Ricky Davis about as quickly as poss- you possibly could. They also got rid of Carlos yeah. Boozer, but they didn't mean to do that one. That was an accident. <laughs> Whoops! Yeah, that Whoops. Was... <laughs> hey, Jack, oh, we have to Jason sign that Capone. piece of paper. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that Jason Capono was a rookie the uh, same year with the Cavs as LeBron was. Yeah, he, uh, uh, LeBron unfortunately overshadowed the uh, Jason Capono run to the. Uh, you yeah. know, he got 427 minutes. I mean, that is about uh, about a, a sixth of the uh, amount yeah. that LeBron got. So, remember, Jason Capono was a really big deal for that one year. <laughs> a really a big corners. deal. Like t- yeah. there was like two years where he was like the one of the most valuable players. You know, the, this guy that's just a knockdown, amazing, yeah. and then <laughs> maybe one of the most valuable players might be overstretching it. But yeah, no, no, that's a little. That's yeah. I, I wanted to qualify that a little bit, but uh, yeah, I know a guy that was. A, yeah, then he started doing like a weird, like taking long twos thing. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, yeah, <laughs> dude, like yeah, like you, you understand you it out, and then you lost it. Like, yes, yeah, oh, right. man, weird. Yeah, must have got advice from Josh Smith on the old figure Thank it you. out and then do the exact opposite of what figure it out means. Ex- but, exactly, know. exactly. Um. Uh, one of my favorites, I would say, is the uh, is the Mark Madsen game for the uh, 2005 2006 <laughs> Timberwolves, who basically it came down to one game that Minnesota had to lose to uh, keep its draft pick. So even though Mark Madsen had not been had not taken a three pointer in 135 games, 
Um, <laughs> he managed to take seven shots in nine minutes. Uh, finished 0 for 7 from behind the arc. Um, and uh, I, I think you put down here that he had a negative 8.8 game score. Um, and basically, he... He explained it later, and I, I'm a little confused by his explanation, I guess. <laughs> How do you interpret this? He's full of shit. <laughs> okay. Another thing, well, too, to look at. I, I did a little bit more number crunching of this game or whatever. Uh, 25% of his total field goals that entire year were taken in this game. So <laughs> There you go. He shot, I think, 15 times in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, 25% of his total field goal attempts in the entire season were taken in this game. So, yeah. Um, Okay. <laughs> okay, Mark. Yeah. It, it, the, the crowd yelling shoot made you shoot. Okay. Well, I, he, yeah, he said, <laughs> like, um, I, I, I thought, like, I didn't think he was saying it more in this game. It was more like he had been, like, like he'd been working on it, so he was given this chance, and he was trying to do his best <laughs> in the game. I guess that's what he's saying. I, I don't know. I mean, like I said... It, like, I don't really get his incentive to go out there and I mean, I think like, I certainly don't think he was like purposely missing them, you know, but no, 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 no. I think they sort of in a lot of ways said, hey, you're not very good. Why don't you take all of our shots today? <laughs> yeah. And he said and he said, well, whatever. I mean, like to him, he's probably thinking in his head. And, and this is and this is the confidence that players have. Or, and and that's everybody. Even a Mark Madsen is probably this way, too, where. God, to get in the NBA, you have to know that you're, you know, one of the greatest basketball players in the world or whatever. I'm sure Mark Madsen thought when they said, hey, Mark, you know, you know let, let, let's focus through you. Let's have you be the focal point of this game. I'm sure he didn't go, yeah, you know, you just want me to miss every shot. I'm sure he said, hey, I'm going to go score 40 tonight or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I absolutely agree that he didn't intentionally try to go out there and miss shots. I just think he's not very good. And and when you filter the ball through Mark Madsen and he shoots 15 times a game, eh, you know, things happen. Yeah. Well, he has more rings than I do. That's true. He's got a lot more rings yes. than than, yes. than all of us. So. What does he have now? What's his ring count? Uh, is did he was he on? I don't remember if he tagged along and got another one. Well, I thought he was just I on mean, the three. Assistant. And is oh. well, does he get any as an assistant? When did he become a, a Lakers assistant? I don't remember. Well, that's that's what's what the internet's for. Yeah, I'll good thing. Look it up. What did podcasts do before the internet, Jason? <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> How did they look up things? I like don't this? know. I it's 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 hard to say. Where they recorded a podcast on their cassette and uh, then, uh, just went around to people's houses to give them the cassette and annoy I them. I guess that was back when they had the radio. Uh, what? I mean, the radio may still exist now, but you know, it's not. I don't. It doesn't have assistant coaching record on Basketball Reference. So okay, um, unfortunately, what the hell? Yeah, uh, t- it's 2013 to the present, so I don't know. Um, yeah, they won their last title in in 2010. So yeah, so no, he was he was prior. So okay, all right, just three. There you go. There you go. It's sad. It's uh, uh, sad that he didn't get any more rings. I guess I don't know. It's not really that sad, but <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, so the I guess the most recent example of like some fishiness going on in late season would be um, the the 2012 Golden State Warriors. Yeah, so you have the, 20, uh, the 2012 Golden State Warriors, and they had a first-round draft pick that was owed to the Utah Jazz, but were, the, the caveat was it was protected. So it, it, it was, you know, if, if we're at an X amount of, you know, place in the standings, we get to keep the pick. If we're not, you know, they get the pick or whatever. And uh, something sort of clicked in the Warriors' front office where they went, eh, you know, we're going to have to give up this pick. I don't know if that's necessarily what it is, but but I'll kind of I'll present the evidence, and you can kind of uh, think what you say there. So anyway, um, midseason – 
there's a lot of changes in Warriors land. Uh, they traded uh, Monta Ellis uh, for Andrew Bogut, which, okay, not a bad trade, except for Bogut was out for the year and wasn't going to play, so <laughs> not really necessarily the, the greatest thing, a move for the future, that one was. Um, they also strategically kind of shut down a lot of the really good players for these kind of weird injuries that nobody knew existed. Um, David Lee got shut down, uh, despite you know averaging 2010 at the time, or, or, or at least being a really good, you know, a guy that could at least get you, you know, X amount of points and at least a double double. It was a guy that definitely averaging a double double. Um, Steph Curry, who was still a very young player at that point, he was shut down. Um, a lot of weird stuff here. Uh, what I basically <laughs> here's their starting lineup on opening night, and here's the starting lineup they tried it out uh, their last game of the year to kind of give you an idea of the roster turnover uh, and the guys that sat out the the end of the year. Uh, starting lineup on opening night was Monta Ellis, David Lee, Steph Curry, Darrell Wright, and Andres Biedritz, which is a good, not a bad team. That's a pretty decent team. Uh, starting lineup for the final night, and, and um, if you can know if you know who half these guys are. Um, more credit to you. Uh, Chris Wright was their starting point guard. Are you aware of Chris Wright? Uh, I have a friend named Chris Wright, but probably it's not the same guy. <laughs> was it him? No. <laughs> Do, not, can you confirm that it was him? It was him? not the same guy. What is your Chris White? Chris Wright? Uh, he's a guy. I, I, friend's a little strong. He's a guy I uh, knew in high school, I guess. Okay. Well, so you don't know then. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I am 99% sure it's not the same Chris Wright. Okay. Well, fair I, enough. I'll I, I vaguely remember the basketball Chris Wright, but not particularly well. Yeah, I think he had like dreadlocks, if I remember correctly. I, I could be wrong. But uh, uh, Jeremy Tyler, uh, Michael Gladness. I don't know who Michael Gladness is at all. Uh, Clay Thompson. So that, that worked out. He was still a young player at this I, point. I know him. Yes. Yes. I've, I've, you've probably heard of him. Uh, Charles Jenkins. I know this Warriors team is awful. I know. I know. Okay, uh, and then the bench. Uh, they only played. Uh, um, they only played seven guys this entire game. Uh, the bench consisted of Mikey Moore, who got uh, twenty-five plus minutes, and then Dominic McGuire, who also got twenty-five plus minutes. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, shockingly their pick did not go to the Utah Jazz, and they were able to draft Harrison Barnes with that pick. So, um, the it, it worked out that all these guys got hurt, and Monta Ellis got traded for a guy that wasn't going to play. It, it worked out very well for them. So, yeah. There you go. And there was obviously, at the time, too, if people are familiar, there was a lot of, like, okay, guys. <laughs> like, it was pretty transparent what they were doing. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, if, if you remember this, this wasn't like a, hmm, what's going on? And, you know, it was kind of, eh, this team is intentionally trying to lose, to not lose their pick. So, and, and they did. And they, uh, Mikey Moore got uh, 25 minutes, I think, for the last, like, half of the year. So, there you go. Oh, good for Mikey. You know, get those minutes, you know, get, <laughs> get those, uh, you know, he's, he's got to get his work in. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think he uh, be, did too much. Be more like Mikey Moore. That's what I always say. That's I've always subscribed to that. Yeah, and it's it's always worked out well. I got his autograph when I was a kid because oh. uh, he. Uh, yeah, I went to like a Clippers game, and um, Elton Brand was very nice about signing autographs. This is when I was young and actually still cared about autographs. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, obviously don't care much anymore. But uh, yeah, so then uh, like the rest of the Clippers ran through, and then Mikey Moore just stayed for like twenty minutes after because like you know <laughs> like what else does Mikey Moore have to do like. He doesn't even hear the team meeting, so he just kind of stayed around and then signed everyone's autographs. So that, that was very nice of him, but yeah. Yeah, well, good for him. Also, the last year of Mikey Moore, he uh, he was never again seen in the NBA, oh, unfortunately. That's too bad. I um, I feel like Mikey Moore might have played for the Hawks for a little bit. Uh, yeah, 2002, 2003 for five games. Oh, no, I was, thinking, I was thinking later. Okay, never mind. Okay. Uh, let me see anymore. Nope. No, he did not. Okay. Oh, dear God. There was a year in Sacramento where he started 79 games. Wow. Good God. He, he, there was one year where he, had, he actually was pretty good, I think. 
Yeah, it was that. It was the year prior, uh, New Jersey. He uh, he almost averaged ten points a game. Okay, the, there you go. The, the 07 New Jersey, and then Sacramento signed him and said, "You play all the time, and you'll be good." And yeah, he's like, "I'm not good." Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm really not good. I'm, I'm Sacramento's still made a lot of bad bad decisions over the uh, yes. past year. Yeah, they. Uh, he did have a, uh, many steps did, forward without making a few steps back. So he did have a six thirteen true shooting percentage. We'll give him that. <laughs> but um, you didn't think we were going to talk about Mikey Moore, did you today? Yeah. We well, you know, we're we're just all over the place. Um. So there. Uh. So uh, Matt Fremreit at uh, Chicken Noodle Hoop has a great post that he shared with us on what he calls the Bobcatters and near Bobcatters and Bobcatting is when you finish with the uh, worst in um, offense uh, efficiency and defensive efficiency in the in the league in the same year. So the the three Bobcatters are the um, the 87 Los Angeles Clippers, the 93 Dallas Mavericks, and of course the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats, who um, are who, who of course winning percentage wise uh, that was the the lockout year the, but winning percentage wise have the worst winning percentage of all time 759 was their record so um this leads to me to an aside that that made me upset as i was doing the dishes earlier today you know this last year the charlotte franchise had never had a um second round appearance in the playoffs in its history but now this year they do because they got the history from the Trout Hornets. Oh, <laughs> that's that's cheap. That's a little bit upsetting. That is weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it. I either. always get weird out by that. That's not the same franchise, right? That's honest. what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just it, not. I mean, there, there's yeah. there's you can't do that. There's too many ties yeah. to the old. I mean, yeah, no, that yeah. that's garbage. It's it's wrong. Yeah, I didn't so, know that. I forgot they did that. I didn't. I, I actually didn't I, know they did that. I remember. Yeah. I knew that they did that, but it, like the the full weight and consequences of that decision did not really necessarily hit do the, me. Do the so, Hornets have any, um, the original Hornets, did they ever, did they ever win the division? Like, are they, do they hang a banner now of like a franchise that doesn't even like, um, uh, I, I don't, don't know if they ever think, did. I doubt it. I don't it think they, they would have won the did. division. No, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know the, uh, cause that'd be ridiculous. They had like a banner ceremony for like a, a team that had the same name of us did something. <laughs> like That, that would be unfortunate. Yes. I would be against it. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, okay, I, I didn't think so, but we'll we'll solve that mystery later. But um, so yeah, there there were some good ones here. I one thing that I thought was um, let's see, there was there was one team that I thought that was very interesting, like the the 1980 Detroit Pistons. I thought that who, who were who won 16 games had Bob Lanier and Bob McAdoo on those uh, teams. Like, it, it's it's funny how bad they were with those. Like, I mean, I know, um, although Lanier and McAdoo still played quite a few seasons, um, but it's just it's funny how, like, even though, like, you know, you have these good players, you can be so, um, you know, so uh, d- downright awful. I don't know. W- w- were any of the other teams that we, – we talked about a few of them already, the Bulls and the um, Hawks and um, – and a few of the other ones. Were there any there that stood out to you as um, as uh, worthy of mention? Yeah, the, the '97 Grizzlies, but but that I, I tend to the Grizzlies at that point are still a, a pretty young franchise, so yeah. so I tend to have a, some some issue with that. Um, you know, calling that. I mean, they're, they're 
you know, of them being a, a truly awful team or historically awful. I mean, I, I get it. They were still Expansion very young teams team get a little bit of a break, I, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let them slide yeah. on that one. I, I always forget how bad the 06 Portland Trailblazers were. That was one because I always sort of think of the Trailblazers as just kind of being always okay. And this was obviously not a year where they were okay. Yeah. And this was just a, a franchise completely in, you know, in, in, in transition and, and just a lot of issues at this point as well. And then, of course, uh, a recent example, the 2010 Timberwolves. I always forgot how um, oh, pretty God. terrible they were. So even though they had Al- with Al Jefferson and Al, with, they have a good team. Like you look at it, you got Jefferson, you got Love, you got Corey, you know, Brewer. Corey Brewer's an okay guy, and they're just they're not good at all. They're really really bad. And like you would at least I get like defensively, but you can't even pull up a good good offense with Al Jefferson and Kevin Love. Like come on, yeah. like really? Well, Kevin Love was playing behind Ryan Holland, so that was uh, that was part of the problem. Oh, oh yeah, that was still in that little era where remember that when that was an issue of like Kevin Love not starting enough games or yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So. Um, yeah, the, the Grizzlies, you not to pick on them a little bit, but, but as far as like, I, I kind of looked a little bit at like the worst multi-year stretches ever and they had, um, 15, 14, 19, eight. Now eight was in the 99 lockout season. So it's uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's, um, that, that is down from what it would be because of the fewer games. Uh, 22, 23 and 23 over seven seasons. So that's by far the worst stretch of, you know, 23 or under that any team has ever had. I mean, most teams only have the most that they have of that kind of stretch is three seasons. The uh, 98 to 2000 Clippers have a similar stretch. The 87 through 89 Clippers, the 92 through 94 Mavs. The baby bulls that we mentioned, the also the warriors of 2000 to 2002 had uh bad stretch. They although they did actually win, they won four more games than the bulls did during those three seasons. And then the 92 through 95 Timberwolves had a four season stretch of 15, 19, 20, and 21 wins. So, yeah. Those are the worst multi-year, um, you know. That Grizzlies, that Grizzlies run is pretty bad. Like there is, there is nothing there. I mean, that that killed a franchise in a lot of ways. Yeah, in, in terms it really of, you did. Know, the Vancouver Grizzlies. So, it's pretty telling there. But of course, now they they they're kind of a, a you know a really good franchise and really stable. And and it's good to see them come because yeah, it was it was bad there for a while. I mean that that. That's a really bad. Stretch. I mean, we're talking about all-time bad stretches, and they they stand out in in that list. So. And I also looked at the best players on the worst 82 game teams. This is going by win share. So the uh, the 73 76ers were John Block with 3.4. The 98 Nuggets, Anthony Goldwire with 3.0. The 93 Mavericks, Derek Harper with 2.7. The 94 Mavericks, Popeye Jones with 3.6. The, <laughs> That's uh, probably not good. The 19- you probably shouldn't have Popeye Jones be your best player. <laughs> the, the 1987 Clippers, who won 12 games, had Michael Cage with 7.2. Great year. Yeah. which It's <laughs> a really good year. Yeah. Uh, the 2005 Hawks, Josh Childers with 4.6. The 97 Grizzlies with Greg Anthony, 3.5. And the 83 Rockets with um, Allen Level, 3.8. So... Now everybody knows that Michael Cage year. That's that's, that's pretty a, that's good. A, but yeah, that's a pretty good year. I thought yes. there'd be some better names there. That, that's pretty. That's pretty telling how bad the name. I, I'm I'm surprised there aren't more. You know, yeah. individual good years on a, on a really bad team. It's pretty funny how how there's just not. I mean, there's really not. The, the so. '93 Mavericks, I think, are worth some special attention. They uh, this is from the the Bobcatting post. Um, 
Their offense was the 10th worst ever. Their defense was the 10th, 10th worst ever. Um, this was Jim Jackson's rookie year. He, he came in like the last couple of months during the season, um, helped them a little bit toward the end. Uh, Derek Harper was really their only other, you know, name player. They actually went seven and 64 through their first 71 games, but they ended up, um, rallying a little bit, finishing seven and 14, um, at the end of the season to avoid the, uh, worst record ever. They, in fact, won against Seattle and Houston on the road, um, toward, toward the end of the season. I'm sure Houston and Seattle were not really trying it too hard at that point, but, but still, so that, that was a, um, 10th worst ever for offense and defense is a pretty impressive mark. That that is pretty good. Yeah, that 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 is not bad. And and, and anticipation of this podcast, what I did, um, I put together kind of a spreadsheet looking at at the worst team ever and, and who would really be the worst team ever. And, and this is not nearly, I mean, there's someone I'm sure much smarter that can do a much bigger study than this to look at it. But, but what I kind of looked at is I looked at uh, basketball reference, the simple rating system, the SRS, if you see that on team pages, really good rating. It just kind of takes into account a bunch of different things, offense, unit, defense, a bunch of stuff. You can, you schedule, can look at baseball. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Strength of schedule, all that sort of stuff. You can go to basketballreference.com for, for, you know, complete explanation on what that is or whatever. So I looked at that and I looked at win loss percentage. And of course there, I'm sure there's numerous better ways to do this. You know, Matt did a really good job. You know, I, I hit his end of looking at, you know, offensive rating and defensive rating or whatever. I kind of want to look at the team that was the worst, you know, win-loss percentage and the worst at simple rating. And I kind of normalized that a little bit to get to make sure that, you know, we were talking about only these top, these bottom 20 teams. And these are only teams that got under 20% uh, total win percentage or whatever. So what I did is I looked at, I combined uh, a normalized look at win-loss percentage and uh, simple rating to try to get, you know, I kind of just add those numbers together to get who I thought was the worst team ever. And of course, bigger study for a different day. And I'd love to actually explore it a little bit more. But basically what my numbers came up with were the worst team ever. Uh, maybe I'll do it. I'll, I'll build up the anticipation here. I'll do the bottom five. So we'll start with uh, number five is the uh, 87 Los Angeles Clippers, who according to my number had a negative 17. They had a really terrible... Um, what do we got here? We got a 14% win percentage and then a negative 11 uh, <laughs> uh, simple rating system. So not, not very good uh, whatsoever. Uh, the 98 Denver Nuggets come in at number four. It's a team that that doesn't pop up too often for us. Yeah, um, they, they had a 13 uh, win percentage and then a negative uh, 11 uh, simple rating, 11.7 uh, simple rating. Uh, just for for posterity's sake, yeah, they they were 11 and 71, and they had uh, they, their top minutes players were Dean Garrett, Lafonso Ellis, Anthony Goldwire, <laughs> uh, Johnny Newman, and Bobby Jackson. There you go. And then Danny oh, cool. and then Danny Fortson. So. They had Tony Batie as well, so they had some guys who you know had, had, some, I don't had some that. names, but um, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not a bad roster. I mean, it's not a good team. At all. No, no, no. <laughs> but but as... I mean, all those guys were like young and not productive yet. yet right, so. right. All right. Then you have, uh, so anyway. as I said, the '98 Nuggets, who might have Lafonso Ellis again <laughs> in there, um, and they had a 13.4 uh, win percentage and then 11.7 uh, simple rating system, uh, uh, simple rating uh, number. Um, we have, of course, the Philadelphia 76ers in 1976 when they come in at third on our list. Uh, as you mentioned, the Dallas Mavericks, a, a team that we sort of talked about a little bit of just historically bad. 93 Mavericks come in at second on my list. And then the worst team in history, according to this little basic study that I did, I'd like to actually go, you know, obviously a little bit deeper in this. But I think that they're going to come up a lot of times because when I when I posed the question on Twitter, a lot of people answered this one right away. It is the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats, who were the worst combination of win-loss percentage, simple rating and all that other stuff. Um just a god awful team, and 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 the reason I did the normalize was to try to kind of make it 
make it a little less uh, of their strength. The strike sort and season. I didn't necessarily want to have their lockout short and season. I don't want that to affect them too much. It didn't matter. They were still far and away worse than everybody else. So, yeah, it's a uh, congratulations to the uh, 2003 uh, or 2012 uh, Charlotte Bobcats for being our worst team of all time. But somebody much smarter than me do a much better study, and I, uh, I would love to read it. So, yeah. Well, they they also finished worst in win loss percentage, so they at least at least their uh, their record matched the, our conclusions. So yes, absolutely. Um, but but you know you gotta trust the process. That's that's what I always like to say. Um, by the way, the the Hornets never won their division, so the best they finished okay. was second. Uh, they finished second in '95 and in in 2002. The, the the last year where they were the the Hornets before they moved to New Orleans, but they were the Hornets. Okay. But, but the New Orleans Hornets. So it's okay, confusing. Of I, course, I don't want them to raise. I don't want them to raise a banner. They have no. <laughs> they, they have no right to any banner. So okay, good, great. Um. So yeah, I uh, I guess uh, I think I think we've got it covered. That's bad teams. Yeah, that's we, yeah. we talked about them all. I uh, think. A lot, Not all a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot more. There's yeah, a lot there, more. There we are a lot more, but you know, you don't. I think we've got enough for, for today. You know, <laughs> the um, nine hour podcast. We just right. on a Saturday we will just wake up and every terrible team we break them down in excruciating detail of how yeah, they maybe, got bad. Why maybe they I'll got call bad. in sick. Maybe I'll call in sick for that one. You can get Curtis Harris on or something. Uh, you know, that's um, fine. Oh, that's good. I won't come in and you can talk to Curtis. I, I, either right. way, just have Curtis. Either one way. of us get us out of here and talk to Curtis. All one right. of us we'll, will talk to we'll, we'll, for nine hours. We'll see, see how much we can work that out. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, everyone, of course, uh, we are uh, hosted on the podiumgame.com. We are part of the Hardwood Paroxysm basketball network of podcasts which you can find on itunes and would be lovely if you would give us and the other great uh, podcasts that are included with including the podium game podcast biscast ball rise and scribe uh quovatimus and other other good ones uh, i would be great if you could uh leave us a review if you uh, dig what we do we uh, would definitely appreciate that help spread the word for what we do and um you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Over and Back NBA. We have a Facebook page of the uh, same name. Uh, also have our own website where we're posting some podcasts, links to podcasts, and some some other content. It's been slow to go, but we're you know working on getting it going. You can go to overandbacknba.com to uh, check those things out. Um, Rich, did I forget anything? I think that's it. You got us on Twitter, all that good stuff. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes to the uh, Hardware Proxism Network. Other than that, At least we, we yeah, we're good. That. Yeah, if you yes, uh, actually, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, leave a uh, best ways are to um, uh, send us a tweet or uh, leave a comment on the uh, post at the podium game. That would uh, we we'd love we love feedback. We love hearing from people. Um, hopefully, you think we're doing a good job and you're enjoying the show. But any. Uh, anything uh good or or constructive criticism we'd love to hear it so um thanks again rich uh good good discussion and uh and until next time everyone adios this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.